Lost in the Long Box is sponsored by Gateway Comics and Toys. Gateway is located at 2368 Plank Road in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Our website is gatewaycomicsandtoys.com where you can find more information about our store, including hours, new releases, and specials for the week. Our social media is under Gateway Comics and Toys as well, so you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Alright, good evening everyone and welcome to Lost in the Long Box for Wednesday, August 5th. Uh, we're running a little light on uh, host this week. Olivia um, is actually closing down the other store that um, our sponsor Gateway bought. Um, so she should be back next week. Um, Enos is on his way in, so at the moment you have just Tommy and I. Say hello, Tommy. Hey, Tommy. Do you have me muted? Well, I'm, I'm here. Maybe, oh, and Mad, well, and Madman is here too. So just now it's Badman and I. Tommy, can you hear me? Speak. I can hear you fine. Okay, because you weren't. I, I, I can hear you fine. What? You what? weren't. You weren't answering me just now, so. Oh yeah, I can hear you fine. All right. So well, say hello to everybody. Hello to everybody. All right, there we go. Uh, so in the news items, well, before we get news items, how was your last week, guys? Good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Great. Uh, I had a, uh, a free weekend because my wife was out camping with the girls. Um, and, of course, uh, what did I do? So I'm going to catch up on some of my movies and TV shows. And let me tell you the definition of suck, ladies and gentlemen. The definition of suck is when you have a free weekend, you watch Avengers Affinity War, only to discover that your Avengers Endgame disc is defective and doesn't play. <laughs> I mean, I've already seen them, but at the same time, it was just like, no. Uh, but I did watch... I did watch uh, part one, Batman The Dark Knight uh, Returns. Have you seen that yet? The animated? I have not. The The fight with him and the uh, leader of the mutants is a long fight. So okay. I was actually impressed. I, the Dark Knight Returns was, was a fantastic comic, so I'll have to check out the, the cartoon. We watched uh, Harley Quinn season two. Oh, yeah, I got to watch season. Oh, thank you since you uh, said that, because I got done with what I assume was season one. Uh, was that only seven episodes, and did it just kind of, like, end without a cliffhanger or anything, the first season? No, no, no. No, there was a cliffhanger. Oh, all right. Maybe what, was I, the last, what, was the, what was the last episode you saw? I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. But the, the one I okay. watched seemed like have an actually definitive end, and I'm thinking maybe I'm missing an episode. Yeah, you. It, it, it's more than seven episodes. I want to say it's. I want to say it's twelve or thirteen. Okay, yeah, I probably missed a whole bunch then. All right, well, yeah. I'll go back and look. Uh, so I am so excited, guys! Wait till you see what is coming. It just. It's going to be like four or five months before I get it back, Tommy. That's the only thing that kind of just sucks. <laughs> um, yeah. But I pulled the trigger today on a Bullet Man number two. Um, the iconic cover with Bullet Man and Bullet Girl on the front of it, you know, the red cover, the little white circle on the splash circle behind them. Uh, it's one of those books that for years you only ever see in magazines or in online or b back but even before online, you know, books or what have you. So when Ed over at Gateway showed it to me last Saturday, I'm like, OK, I got to, I have to get this book in it. Hemmed and hawed at me all week, and then finally today I said, "Do you still have it?" He's like, "Yes," and I pulled the trigger. And so we will show you that, guys, as soon as I get it back. I am very glad you pulled the trigger on that, buddy. Uh, well, well, so am I. I asked him how much it was, and he told me, and I was just like, seriously? Uh, not seriously that I thought it was too much. Seriously that I have that. <laughs> Get it. I want it. <laughs> well, when you were talking to me about it earlier today, it was very clear that you really, really wanted it. So I'm glad you pulled the trigger, and you know, you're not going to have buyer's remorse if someone else buys it. Oh, no. I'm, I am probably going to go back and take some of the Mary Marvels out of there, too. Um, and, so and, if, and, and let's be honest. If you hadn't bought it, I may have you know, bought it just to be a, a jerk. So Right. Because it saves me money too. <laughs> um, so what do you got for news items? I'll cover Olivia's uh, if you want to go ahead and, and go first. 
All right, I do have something, but first I want to start by saying, t telling something about uh, going back to last week when we were talking about uh, conservation and grading and everything like that. Right. Um, we talked about P uh, PGX. PGX and how we, I said, never use them. Here's an example of why. A person bought a comic. He didn't say exactly what it was, but it was an older comic, a Golden Age book that was, a, that was PGX graded 2.0. And he took it out of the slab. When he took it out of the slab, he found that some of the pages had been cut. Panels had been cut out of it. And PGX still graded it a 2.0, even though it was missing part of the book. Walker 95. Uh, let's go back to the comic that I have that, that you're upset about. The Patsy Walker 95 is only missing one page. It's missing page three, but it even says that it does not affect the story. And that got a point five at, at CGC. Right. And, and this, is, this is a book that's missing panels from the comic. So this does affect the story. Right. At best, the book should be a point five and PGX graded at a 2.0. Right. So this is why you don't use PGX people. Right. Well, also, and going back to that, we were talking about the grading differences between CBCS and CGC, uh, and I kept meaning to bring this up, and I got sidetracked during the conversation. My Miss Marvel number one that John Romita signed came back as a CGC 4.0, and we compared that against a 4.0 you have, and it was a world of difference between the two of them. Remember that? And, and look, we lost him again. He's on delay. <laughs> It's so Reference. funny because he's, he's almost <laughs> like, on a, it's like on a time loop. He just stops. Hey, Enos, how you doing? What's there, up, man? buddy? How you doing? I'm all right. You like that person? Yeah, yours was me? a nice. Oh, book. yeah. Oh, look, he's back. He's caught up. Yeah, I do. I do. Yours was a nicer looking book, in, in, you know, at least in my opinion. So. All right. Well, so, the funny thing is I can hear you the entire time when you lose. But my real news item is Frank Miller is being sued by a producer for $25 million over hard-boiled and Sin City rights. Um, Stephen... Laheru, I guess that's how you pronounce his name. Okay. A producer from this 2014 sequel, Sin City of Dame to Kill For, which Miller co-wrote and co-directed with Robert Rodriguez, is claiming economic interference and defamation in a suit against him. And co-defendant Celine Thomas, an associate producer. Um, it looks like it boils down to rights to Sin City. Lawsuit is baseless, and they will be aggressively defending it. Huh. So, and this, so know, this is based off the second movie, Dame to Kill For? Yeah, it's what Robot Tommy. Robot Bill. He's not like Robot Bill. Based off of Dame to Kill For. Uh, looks like the producer. So let's see what happens. I mean, you know, does Frank Miller have $25 million? I mean, I guess probably he does. He's done several mm, movies. He's I don't know. Player. Depends on how much he got for the first Sin City. Um, but it's yeah. funny. When you mentioned that he was being sued, I looked up to the producers of Sin City, um, and it was uh, Bill Scott, Elizabeth Avalon, I guess, A-V-E-L-L-A-N. But the two ones that stuck out to me was Harvey and Bob Weinstein. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Is, oh. is he being sued by the Weinsteins? Um, so I was curious as to who that was. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not familiar with the person that's suing him, but you know, we'll see what happens. I'm sure it'll probably be settled out of court for far less than 25 million. That's what right. usually happens with these things. That's that's too bad. I actually liked the Dame to Kill for I think better than the the first Sin City because it was one continuous story. It wasn't a bunch of little snippets all you know tied together. Right. But either way, it works. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and cover Olivia's uh, news story since she can't be here tonight. Um, I, I never, I never saw the second. All we need now is for him to stand up <laughs> and do the teleport and, and dance. Right. He teleported. <laughs> I am up to a surprise. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we have to come to defend you, Earthling, yes. against the Decepticons. <laughs> get him a little we are here, mask. and we are waiting. <laughs> and the great thing is, because of his delay, he doesn't know we're making fun of him for like five minutes. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> 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 anyway, so Olivia was going to report that Marvel is canceling Ghost Rider. Um, I guess the last issue that came out was issue seven back in July. Right. Um, and she said... Um, that there's going to be like a couple of one shots and an empire tie in, right? But that book is done. Um, I would say it doesn't surprise me, but wasn't it also one that Donnie Cates was writing? And I, I think, think so, and I thought all his stuff was doing really good. 
Oh, boy. And to add to that, apparently another news item I read today, um, Doctor Strange was canceled with today's last issue. Um, so I guess Doctor Strange 6 came out today, and Marvel announced that was at the end of that series as well. Right. So I don't, I don't know. Um, Doctor Strange I can kind of see because, I'm sorry, the character just never seems to really get a footing. He hasn't had a good series since the 80s. When they did that Foss, when that had the Foss Gambit, remember that? Right. I think it was the last good Doctor Strange series that was out there. I just love watching Tommy freeze. He doesn't really catch on. What's that? Say again. Come back. Yeah. What? He's like the Steve Boston. He's breaking up. He's breaking up. I expect to see his screen just go up in flames here soon. Um, all right. So. Uh, Frank Miller being sued by the producers of Sin City, Them to Kill For. Enos uh, Marvel, Dr. Strange, Ghost Rider being canceled. I'm, I'm playing catch up here. What's your news item? Well, it has been formally announced that Patty Jenkins is going to be leaving the Wonder Woman franchise after the third and final film. Really? Yes. Yeah, she said, uh, as it says, although Wonder Woman 94 director, 84 director Patty Jenkins found it exciting and important to tell Diana's story on film, the third one will be her last. Quote, WW84 gave me a chance to do a lot of things that I couldn't accommodate in the first movie. I was happy to tell one, the Wonder Woman origin. It was almost her birth, but we really haven't seen what she is capable of, Jenkins told Geek Magazine. As transcribed by DC Movie News, it is exciting for me to show her at the peak of her strength, but it is also very important that she fights an internal struggle. She is a goddess and tries to help humanity. She is not only someone who fights evil, she tries to show bad people how to improve uh this i have got to say that if they were going to carry this past three this is going to be a big blow because patty jenkins was able to tell the story and gave us a great product right and uh i'm dying to see who is going to take up the mantle if there is a if they continue with the franchise after the third one well and here's the thing it's not it didn't say that she's leaving on bad terms right uh, which just tells me she, like, as usual, she signed a three-picture deal. And after her third picture, understandably, she wants to go on and do other things. I get it. Gal Gadot may not come back after after the third movie. Right. Uh, especially, Honestly, I don't think you really need a, one after a third one. Usually, usually once you get to three, it's, it's kind of right. wearing thin. Not to mention any other Justice League movies that get made between 84 and, and 3, Gal Gadot is probably going to be in that too. Right. So, I mean, it's sad, but let's let's be honest. She gave us what we wanted, an actual good Wonder Woman movie. Right. Um, 1984, yeah. I just, I am chomping at the bit. I I just know Warner Brothers is going to give up and go straight to streaming on that, which is going to irk me to no end. Oh, who are you telling? So, but that's all right, we'll manage. Um, but I also got a second news item tonight. Oh, go ahead. And and it's going to enable me to win uh, uh, show and tell to a degree. Now, there's a reason why I was late. A year ago, you looked out for me and helped me find something that I've been looking for for about 40 oh, that years. that oversized Superman. That yeah, oversized right. Batman. Well, heard about your predicament. So I'm going to show. Did you buy me an... Oh my God, dude! You are so awesome. You are fantastic. I'm gonna hug you. I don't care. <laughs> hey, look, and but the girl at Target didn't take the thing off of it. So follow me there afterward after the show, so we can get that taken off. Oh, I can probably get that out. So you for sure, you, yeah, yeah. So for you guys who don't know, um, well, actually, I mentioned it earlier at the show. My Avengers Endgame. Uh, I went to go play it, and it it locked up the Blu-ray player. I mean, straight up, locked it up, wouldn't eject, wouldn't turn off. I had to unplug it. And then I had to load another disc to make sure that it wasn't the player. And right. everything else played fine. And let me tell you what, you ain't seen so many cuss words come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you don't watch Infinity War and sit down and watch Endgame and then sit there and don't play it. I'm like, well, oh, mother... Yeah. <laughs> so, but that's all right. I was telling Tommy, I watched... Uh, instead of that, I watched... Um, Part one of Batman Dark Knight Returns. Oh, really? And I, and I, I was telling Tommy, 
that fight scene with him and the leader of the mutant gang that is was a long Oh, fight. that was a hell long ass fight. <laughs> I was like, I cannot believe they're actually going this long with this fight. You so. shouldn't get this off because after we leave here, man, we yeah, we'll just swing by Target. Target and take it off. So. Because yeah, I don't know how the girl just let him in, just let me get it, and then just let me walk up the store with it like that. Call uh, minimum wage. Uh, 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 I, I, I rest my case. <laughs> so, but yes, thank you very much. No problem, Bob. I, I, I was actually just telling my wife today I had to put another one in the cart. Because, uh, you know, I bought this months ago, so good luck trying to take that back to Amazon. You know, I bought this six months ago and it doesn't play. Well, sure it's now. Well, it's yours now. Right. You should have looked at it before then. So my news item... Um, and it's actually just came out today. So James Tinian IV is actually lighting it up over at Batman. Yeah, um, he so is. So today, Batman 96 introduces yet another new Batman villain with Clown Hunter. Yeah, I saw that. So everybody, um, he's doing a really good job on Batman. I, I will freely admit that I, I love Tom King on Batman. I don't know why everybody had all the hate, but Tinian is ripping this up right now. Oh, yeah. Um, Joker War is going to be awesome. It, it's been pretty good. So 96, new enemy... Clown Hunter goes right after with Punchline. Let's hope that they don't fizzle out after this storyline, and we don't. See and let's hope they're not over. We don't. We don't get an oversaturation of them to the point everyone gets tired. Right. Exactly. Although I did, I think it was that Joker eighty page giant. I wasn't gonna really get it, and then I found it in my box, picked it up anyway. And the origin of Punchline was in there. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, how many people slept on this? Well, look, I'm gonna <laughs> tell you what I told. Uh, I told my godson. To pick it up because he's a Batman fan. He's always actually he's more of a Nightwing fan than uh, Bat, uh Batman fan. And um, I got to give kudos to our co-host Olivia and the Reverend Ed who made sure that I had it. Absolutely. So well, it was already on my pulse. So yeah, it was, exactly. Um, so Gateway, I'm gonna tell y'all right now. This is one. This is a shameless plug, not only because I know these folks. But because they sponsor our show, if you want to get the best in comics in the city of Fredericksburg, look no further than Gateway Comics and Toys. You're gonna you're you are gonna be pleasantly surprised by what you see, and you once you get in, you ain't gonna want to leave. So well, remember, Ed, Ed's also running the other store up and, north and, now too. Oh so. yeah, so do we want to like, give him give him a shout? Yeah. Well, I already did the beginning. Oh, did that? okay, that's cool. why Olivia's not here tonight. She right. Closing exactly. The store. So, which I already took Ed to task when I went in today. I said, "Hey, man, that's not cool." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and he suckered you with Bullet Man. Oh, he, oh it was not a hard sell. <laughs> trust me on this. Yeah, it's not like he had to break any bones or twist any limbs. It was I bet. Like, I bet. Oh, uh, so by the way, I'm brilliant. I am brilliant. I am brilliant. I thought, I, thought of, Lewis. I thought of the ultimate team up the other day. I want to see this. Come happen. on, come on, come on. So anyone at DC or Marvel and Olivia, if you're listening, I know you have pull. I want to see a Catwoman cheetah. And I mean, Dr. Barbara Minerva cheetah, not the one with the suit, but the actual full fur and claws. Right. I want to see a Catwoman cheetah, black cat, hell cat, tiger team up. Ooh. <laughs> Call it clouder. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, clouder. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> or glare, no, but, glaring is better. Glaring is better. But wouldn't that be awesome? I want to see that. Well, call it the Legend of Gato. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I'll I'll <laughs> write it myself if I have to. So let's get to the show and tell. Um, Madman, you got us over there. Uh, no, I brought a cha uh, Challenges of the Unknown comic book last week, and uh, I didn't get it back. I don't have. I don't have it. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Um, did Olivia take it with her? I think you guys had a bunch of comic books out. It might have got. Oh, she might have yeah. scooped it up with hers. So, so no, I, not until I get my challenges <laughs> of the unknown comic book right. back. Olivia, if you're listening, check your stash. You might have Madman's comic. Um, I'll check mine while I got my bag. Go ahead, hit the hit the uh, camera here for uh, okay, Enos's, me, uh... and then I'll see if maybe I actually box it with my stuff. Uh, so, where's that number? I'm blind as a bat. That's Eight, what it happens looks like. when you get old. So I, uh, Enos brought in the Batman Superman um, issue eight. Which yeah, is the, the Jeff Loeb ones. I got those. Which is the first appearance of the new Supergirl after the whole Matrix thing, which I hated that. Character. Yeah, I have this book. I have this book, too, because of Michael Turner. I'm a huge Michael Turner right. fan. So, What was really great is um, this is also the series where Darkseid gets her and corrupts her as well. Um, so, and it's funny, 
I remember I just bought this thing out of habit, you know, because it was Batman and Superman, but it ended up being a really great series. In fact, the um, Madman, the, the movie I was telling you about, the DC animated Batman Superman Public Enemies, comes out of this series. Yep. Um, so I'll bring this for you next week. Do me a favor, hit me on Messenger, tell me to bring you that one and the Crisis on Two Earths. Where they meet the crime syndicate. Okay. And they also, one, 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 one of the things I absolutely loved about that animated film was the fact that they adopted or they, they did, um, they paid homage to Michael Turner's art. Right. Absolutely. And I think also they even stole the bit where they told Power Girl to distract uh, Toy Man. And she's like, how am I going to distract a 13-year-old boy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was in Public Enemy. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. I think they even oh, did oh, yeah, it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right. So then I brought in, now I brought two. Because to be honest, I don't remember if I've shown this one already. Um, so I brought a bonus in case I have already shown this one. But it's Fantastic Four. Is that 89 I got down there? Um, and I, it's your comic book. Uh, <laughs> did I show this already, Batman? I can't remember. It looks familiar, but you know, all Fantastic Four covers look boring. Right. So, so <laughs> poor that's why I went in yeah, sorry, it was Fantastic Four no, 90. I also brought in number 91 as well. That's a cool cover. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you can always tell the great Kirby Prince. covers because they got drama going on in them and action, yeah. even when there's nothing actually happening on the cover. Um, and and those is, hands are a dead giveaway. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and this is still uh, this is still that great uh, Stan Lee Kirby run that lasted for like 20 years before somebody finally broke it. Wow. So I might have, yeah. how, it might have even been longer than that. I think it was longer than that because... Yeah. It wasn't until Brian Michael Bendis uh, did it with uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, right? I think. Him and, uh, I can't, God, I can't remember the artist. I feel Mark horrible. Mark Bagley. Mark Bagley. Yeah, they, they went 100-some issues breaking their streak on Fantastic Four. Wow. So, all right, Tommy, what do you got? Well, since we're talking about the uh, the Bronze Age tonight, and we had been talking about Frank Miller earlier, I have Daredevil number 168, the, nice. first, appearance of, the first appearance of Elektra. That is a hot book, too. Yeah. Yeah, I got this last year at AwesomeCon, if you remember. Actually, I don't remember, because I think last year I was uh, throwing away another $450 on a Batman uh, 181, so. <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was last year. It may have been the year before, but yeah, I, got, I, got, I picked this up. Yeah, this, this is a, this, this, you know, since we're talking about the Bronze Age and Frank Miller was a part of my news items, I figured this would be a good time to show this one off. Awesome. So as Tommy gave away, Madman's not showing anything tonight because we stole a comic and he's like, I'm not giving you any more. Uh, I and I'm having a little tantrum. <laughs> I, you know, I honestly think Olivia just scooped that up yeah. with everything. Yeah, you had a lot of comic books because we were talking, because you had a bunch of like stuff that you didn't mind hurting. Because you give examples of how not to read a comic book. <laughs> right. And we were like, don't, don't beat up the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> so we are actually going to talk about the Bronze Age. Uh, for those of you who haven't been around as, as long as some of us, the Bronze Age is another very pivotal point in comics. I would say, Enos, is this, would this be a fair assumption? If the Silver Age saved the comics industry, the Bronze Age brought in the readers who hadn't looked at comics before. Yeah. And kept it going. They, they, they yeah. opened the door for people who either never read a comic or was only exposed to an animated series since there was no movies back then. Um, it uh, made it, it, it kind of like wet, it, wet everybody's appetites. Right. So typically the Bronze Age is considered to have been from 1970 to 1984. Um, uh, it was categorized by darker stories. Um, yep. and more social relevance. Uh, but there's a lot of, and I didn't realize this, when you look at when did the Bronze Age start, mm -hmm. there's several comics that are considered the start of the Bronze Age, and they're all DC. So, like, uh, some people say that Green Lantern 76. Yeah, there's not, it's, it, there's not a definitive one, though. Right, there's not one yeah, that actually no, like, says this is it. Like, like, the Golden Age has Action 1, the Silver Age has Showcase 4, you know? Right, but, so, like, yeah. Green Lantern 76... Uh, the first issue where Green Arrow teams up when Denny O'Neill and Neil yeah. Adams start that hard travel right. hero storyline. Right. Yeah. Um, that one. Or, and this is the, the one that's just kind of really mind-boggling when you think about it, when Jack Kirby leaves Marvel and goes to DC and starts on Jimmy Olsen 133. Jimmy Olsen of all books, which would you know like a throwaway title, but the reason this is so important is what did he bring us in 133? Don't look at the notes. Uh, dark side. Dark side. No. 
He did not. The Newsboy Legion? He brought us the Fourth World in the 133. Four, oh, the... Um. Darkseid shows up in 134. Right. You get like a weird cameo of his fist or something in 133, and then I think in 135. But yeah, so uh, for a lot of people, the Bronze Age is considered having started with Kirby's departure to DC and the whole introduction of the fourth world. That was big. Yes, That was. was big news back then because a lot of people, um, people jump to this thing in time, people jump from company to company, and it's not nothing really big. But I think one of the biggest news stories during that during that time and even past that was uh Jack Kirby who was a literal mainstay at Marvel went to the competition and created some great stuff right well remember it wasn't just FF he was uh you know with Stan Lee and Steve Ditko um did most of Marvel's books you know? right so another thing um that's considered a huge start of the of the bronze age again takes place at DC and that is the retirement of Mort Weisinger from the editor of Superman and Julius Schwartz taking over and deciding we're going to make this a little more believable and starts the Kryptonite No More story. Right. Again with Danny O'Neill. So, show you just how pivotal this is. Yeah, I'm glad is. they ended up bringing back. Can't, can't imagine those stories. Superman without a Kryptonite. That, that's weird to me. Well, and that, that was the other but thing. Yeah, they also started taking away. Go ahead, yeah, they also started taking away some of the some of the other stuff like you know crypto the super dog and stuff like that. oh yeah all the super pets were gone which was not a bad yeah. thing <laughs> no not necessarily i'm glad crypto's back though. they, they were during that time they did keep think... crypto and i think it was like a, it was the it was because of that during that period that when john byrne took over superman that was one of the first things he got rid of <laughs> and and then and, and though i would um what i love about it now I'm in a total agreement with um, Tommy. I grew up watching the Superboy cartoon when I was a kid. And um, I love dogs. So Crypto was like one of my favorite um, characters. Never got a Superboy comic book with um, Crypto in it. But yet, the mayor, they, they would have the Metropolis, no, not, the Smallville mail, Smallville mail Sack news column. It was Superboy holding up um mailbag with crypto pulling on it that that was the highlight of, of, of a comic for me because i got to see crypto but in the was book. it wasn't he in some of the 50s issues of superboy uh yeah okay yeah the 50s and early 60s leading up to the uh animated series in 66 gotcha okay guess who did his voice don't know bob hastings aka commissioner gordon from uh <laughs> batman the animated series <laughs> Wait, all the way back in 66? In 66. Oh, well, okay. Superboy, yeah, job makes sense, right? Yeah. Yep. Did not know that. But one of the other things, too, Tommy, what, not only did he get rid of Kryptonite on this, but they were going to kind of half his powers. Mm -hmm. Because remember, he said one of the big problems was, how do you beat Superman? He can do freaking anything. Exactly. So, right. Yeah, which makes sense to do that, you know, to, to, to make him a little less powerful because, you know, he can pretty much lift anything on the planet and... You can get hit by a missile and not take any damage. I mean, you know. <laughs> it reminds me of that cartoon short, Superman, how it should have ended. Yeah. With, with Lex Luthor telling him, even you with your great speed couldn't possibly stop him. What What was that again? Say that again? <laughs> <laughs> you mean these missiles? These, you mean these two missiles? Because <laughs> I summoned the Earth like three times and he's only two I could find. But these can't be the missiles you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, so getting back to the Bronze Age. So like I said, um, huge events that everybody considers to be the start of it that, that all take place at DC, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. But there are some major things that happen during the Bronze Age at Marvel as well. For instance, we do get the three-part Green Goblin Reborn, which was the drug story, which was actually, and I didn't know this, the, uh, I, and I can't remember the name. I'm sorry, guys, I'm blanking out. Stan Lee was approached by the drug council say, we need you to reach America's youth. Can you do a story about drug abuse? Right. Um, because absolutely, I'll, you know, I'll addict Harry Osborn. Right. <laughs> um, but not to be outdone, um, DC turns around and does it in um, what uh, snowbirds don't fly in Green Lantern 85 and 86, where we find out that Speedy, Speedy is also is on a heroin. Um, so not only do you get these drug stories that the CCA would have never approved, but as a result of them, well, go, going back to Stan Lee, going back to Stan Lee, the, the, the Amazing Spider-Mans weren't approved by right. CCA. They do not have the CCA logo on them. They don't. Um, the DC ones, they, 
yeah, these they re, they revised their standards after those those drug stories went out. But um, but yeah, because because CCA did not approve those. Those were some of the first Marvel comics without the. Uh, I think they probably were the first two Marvel comics without the the CCA on them. I, I think so, actually. Uh, but you brought up exactly where I was going because of those two stories. The CCA then turned around and relaxed their guidelines. Yep. Um, which, as a result, allowed us to get back horror comics. So then you started getting um, Swamp Tomb, Thing or Tomb of Dracula. Tomb of Dracula. Um, what was the other one? Vault of Horror. Or Vault, the, the Frankenstein. All the Marvel stuff. All the Marvel stuff. The so, Living Mummy. So it's funny because of those two stories, which they didn't approve, they then turned around and realized, well, you know what? Maybe we need to get rid of those 20 year old standards and let you guys tell some more groundbreaking stories. Um, what else happens in this too? And I know you know this one. Oh, the, Renaissance, the Renaissance of Batman due to the hand, under the guidance of Julius Schwartz, Daniel Neal, Neil Adams, and Dick Giordano. Right, absolutely. So, and, and it's funny because we just recently lost Daniel Neal, but you realize he shaped the Bronze Age already. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he was instrumental. He, 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 was, he was one of the architects of it. And one of the things that um, I liked about this was about what it did with Batman is they made Bat, they took Batman back to his roots. Yep. And they met and they focused more on him being a detective than yeah. being this guy that just comes swings in and what have you. Batman had a little more, had a great deal more sensibility than he did during the run of uh the the 66 TV series. Now we we'll yep. give it its due. The 66 TV series did in many ways shave shave save Batman. However, like with a lot of things, it began with overkill and to the point where they relied too much on it. Thank God Julius Schwartz saw this and which led to the renaissance of Batman by giving us the Batman that he the way he was intended to be. Some of the best and Batman some stories. of the Absolutely. best stories. Absolutely. Best and, stories. And he, he's remained that way to this day. He's never gone back to the campy right, version. Right, right. Uh, real quickly, Mad Men, do we have a platform for audience interaction? I know that when we broadcast on YouTube, we used to. Uh, we can. We could probably set something up for next week in order for like uh Okay. Uh, until then, comments. Mark, you are lucky because you have a personal friend on the podcast. If you just want to message me, I will answer whatever question I can. If I can't, I'll, I'll pass it to the encyclopedia here. <laughs> why are you laughing? How you know I meant you? <laughs> because you pointed at me. That's why. <laughs> but one of the things I loved also about, and also this, this also bears mentioning, the Bronze Age is what really enabled with also... How can I put this? This really gave Jim Apparel a big spotlight, too. Yes. Because he went from being known as the other Batman artist to being the mainstay Batman artist for the remainder of the time. Because a lot of people don't know this, Neil Adams didn't stay on Batman very long. No, he didn't. And yeah. and after that, he went on and did other things. But Jim Apero wound up being the mainstay when it came to Batman, um, due to his work on with um work on, on uh, the Brave and the Bold, which was led him by Bob Hainan, and we had other other writers. But then when Mike W. Barr came in and took over the writing duties, you, they completely shifted that book in fifth gear, and. I, um, Madman, is it safe to say that there wasn't a Brave and the Bold uh, issue that you didn't look forward to? Uh, I didn't really read Brave and the Bold. Okay. okay. Yeah, sorry. But so I, I look forward to it. I, I just love Jim Apparel's Batman. He wasn't this. He looked like an Olympic decathlete. I love the way he drew him. Yeah. Well, you know what I loved about I mean, Jim Apparel's Batman, too? He's a, he's a phenomenal artist. Yes. Was He had that, that classic gray suit and the, and the, the bright blue um, mm -hmm. cowl and everything, which stood out as classic superhero. But his face always still had that grim Batman yeah. look about Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did he, one of the things I loved about the way Apparel did Batman is, no matter what you saw, when you looked at his face, he always meant business. Right. And well, and it's funny you said about Jim Apparel and Batman because that is another key feature um, 
of the Bronze Age was the team-up book. Oh, yeah. In popularity. Not with just Brave and the Bold, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Marvel team-up. showcase, Marvel 2-in-1, Marvel team-up. Team up. And the great thing, I loved Marvel 2-in-1 uh, with the thing. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people don't remember this. There were so many stories of Marvel 2-in-1 and Marvel team-up that had major repercussions later on in the main title. And if you didn't know that it had taken place at Marvel Team-Up or 2-in-1, you were like, what happened? Right. How did this person get so powerful Right. Um, because of that book? Right. Well, those were good. Those books were a good idea, too, because, you know, they could showcase, you know, lesser known characters. You know, you had you had Spider-Man and the Thing, established characters that people loved. And, you know, you, with someone that was lesser known next to them to, to try to, you know, get them over, so to speak. So it was right. a good idea. I, and I'm grateful for those team up books because I was introduced to a new favorite character of mine based on that Captain Britain. Right. And brought by my, my favorite. I don't know why, but I think you were going to say that. Huh? Say so what? <laughs> I knew you were going to say Captain Britain. I don't but know I, why, but I knew you were going to say just, that. I know he first appeared in the U.S. in Marvel yeah. team up, and I just, for whatever reason, knew you were going to say Captain Britain. Well, 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 Tommy, you know, it's, it's no secret I'm a John Byrne fan. So, um, I just love the way John Byrne drew him, and I and I love that first uh, Captain Britain, the one with the full face mask with the British flag on it and the lion on the costume. I say it's the it's the yellow lion. Yeah, the yellow yeah, lion. man. So, well, Brad Braddock's um, a good character too. Yeah, so. he is. So I, man, I just well, I was speaking of the team up books. You know what else that everybody overlooks as one of the huge team up books that started during this era? DC Comics presents. Yeah. Yes. And there was a lot, a lot of great stories under that book also. Um, but back to the Bronze Age, uh, you know what else it gives us too? It gives us the classic Death of Gwen Stacy story. Yes. Back into, again, the darker storylines and, uh, you know, not all endings are happy type of thing. Because we get two deaths in that, remember? We get Gwen Stacy and then an issue later, Green, Green Goblin. Green Goblin, yep. Um, Norman Osborn. Right. With his funny hair. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was one. I was like, I ain't gonna lie. I when I first saw his, uh, first started reading, and I saw Norman Os the way they did Norman Osborn's hair. I was like, is he wearing braids? I thought he was is wearing cornrows or first cornrows or a perm. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't know what the heck it was. I'm like, I saw somebody. See, this is why I like you, man, Baker. We all went. We are on the same, We're on page, the same because, page. Yeah. Because that's the first thing. I'm like, wait a minute. This well, dude's I always got thought the same thing too. It's like, what did is you, up with this hair? Did you really? Yeah. I was I always like, okay, what the hell is Norman Osborne doing with cornrows, man? Right. What's up with this? Well, now here's the thing. We call it cornrows now. Right. But in the 70s, you didn't see it very much. No. And the only time he did, and I'm sorry for saying this, was on an African American woman. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, why has he got a woman's hair? Uh, it's like I was like, okay, and then then we saw Harry Heiser okay, uh, did you see these? Right. I'm like, he's got braids, he's got cornrows too. What's up? He's got corrugated hair, like yeah. Mark said. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was definitely. I'm weird. glad I was the only I was not the oh, only no. one who thought oh, that. Trust me, oh, no. everyone who read Spider Man and saw Harry and Norman's hair always went, What, what is with this hair? <laughs> What's this hair? Yeah. And you know, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I don't think it's much going out on a limb. I think this was probably the best time overall for Spider-Man. Period. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. The 70s Spider-Man was great. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and 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 what and what I loved about that was they didn't try to outmatch John Romita Senior and his run on the book. They just picked up where it left off, and they brought in the great Gil Kane. May he rest in peace. And John Romita Sr. did um did ink did the inking over his work, and I mean and and and, and we did that list about unsung. We should have talked about John Romita Sr. as well because a lot of the artwork that you saw and as far as the merchandising went, that was his. He did the inks on the death of Gwen, on the um. Drug story. Drug story. On uh, the riot, return of the Green, Go Green Goblin Returns. I'll get this out eventually. Yes. Um, but yes, because that was Stan Lee, Gil Kane, and John Romita who did the, uh, the inkings on it. Yeah, um, I, I see I see on the comments here, um, Mark is saying that Romita was his favorite Amazing Spider-Man artist. I'm going to agree with you there, buddy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what did you get to, to me, comments? That, that, to me, that was, when we were on Facebook, people commented. Yeah, I page. have them in the, on the... Oh, on the good, good. Out, fantastic. Outbound, yeah. 
Hey, Madman, I got to ask you this before we move yeah, on. Yeah, I got to agree with you there, my man. Did you ever think that uh, you were going to wake up, we were going to pick up a Spider-Man comic, and, you know, when Rick James came up, it was probably was going to see... <laughs> Right, <laughs> we were going to see Norman Osborn with the long braids, so super freak, super freak. Absolutely, he seems like the kind of guy who would fall into that kind of culture. Oh my god! Don't you think he? Oh yeah, good? he would have rocked it. Yeah. He would have the V neck all the way down with oh, medallions. God. Absolutely, look at the hip boots. Well, hang on. <laughs> Aren't there a couple issues where Norman is wearing uh, like a V-neck sweater type <laughs> Something thing? Like that. I almost part of it out there. Um, also, too. Uh, Another thing that, that started happening in the Bronze Age um, was both Marvel and DC started canceling their, their not very, you know, uh, selling well titles. Like case in point, X-Men. Everyone forgets X-Men was actually cut um, and rent reruns for like, what, 20, 30 issues? Yep. Um, but when they did that, they then decided to start taking a gamble. And so we started getting non-superhero books like Conan. And then Conan did so well that DC said, well, hey, jump on that bandwagon. And we got um, Claw, right. the Unconquered, or the Warlord. And they, got, and they also got the license to Tarzan, Tarzan as well. And Tarzan's unique because during the Bronze Age, he goes to both companies. Exactly. DC and Marvel both, both get had it, them. And they both have successful runs with exactly. him. Exactly. So, which is what's really weird. But then we also get, like I said, uh, the horror titles. You get Swamp Thing. You get Ghost Rider, Tomb of Dracula. Um, DC still has a resurgence with uh, House of Secrets and House of Mystery. Not expected. They're still selling well. Um, but also, another big thing that happens um, in the Bronze Age is uh, we see a lot more minority heroes come up to, this, to the forefront. We already had Black, uh, Black, Black Panther, Panther from '66 and, and the and the Falcon, but like during that time, we saw the we saw the emergence so the of gets uh, his name on Captain America on the front page, right? And we also and then during that time, we were introduced to Storm, Blade, yep, Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, Hire, Power Man. We were introduced to Misty Knight. We and and also Marvel took advantage of the. Um, Kung Fu um, martial arts film uh, Crazy. craze during during the life of Bruce Lee by introducing us to two of their major Kung martial arts characters, Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu, and Daniel Rand, a.k.a. Iron Fist, which also introduced us to Misty Knight, Butch, Misty Knight, Bushmaster, and um, it was and um, there was also another Latino character that was introduced, Alaguila. Which oh my is, God! I forgot all about him. Uh, <laughs> uh, who who had this energy tip sword, and uh, who went on? Even though he was introduced earlier, when uh, Kerry Gamble was doing the artwork back in 1981, he really caught on. And um, not to mention, one of the founders of Milestone Comics cut his teeth on Power Man Iron Fist too, Dennis Cowan. Right. Well, don't forget. DC doesn't get left out here. Exactly. We get Bronze Tiger. We get John Stewart, Green Lantern, who by many people center is their most popular the, Green Lantern. Uh, yes. Um, we also get Jefferson Pierce, Black, Black Lightning. Lightning. Get uh, you get the Vixen, and they even uh, we even get uh, some Jewish characters, Kitty Pride, right? Spectre Moon Knight, which I totally what? forgot that that's a Jewish. Oh yeah, character. yeah, that's right. I forgot. One one Ragman Jewish. For a while. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I, if, I, if my memory serves me correct, Ragman was, and he was one of those characters that wound up being wildly, even though his book didn't sell, he was still a wildly popular character, which yeah. wound up seeing him show up in a lot of stories all over the DC universe. His powers are so damn cool. Oh, yeah. Right. Well, I think they even mentioned the Jewish uh, mythology of the Gollum in this yeah, the Gollum, too, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, two other things that happened in the Bronze Age, which is uh, part of its, how do I want to say this? Part of what identifies it. Um, a lot of the careers of artists and writers started coming to an end and they started becoming editors and publishers and not yeah. doing the same work that made them famous. Right. Um, uh, which is kind of a, a change because now all the young guns were coming up. But they had studied under all these guys. So it's not like they just walked in off the street and did a, a talent search. They had been there for years. It's like, okay, kid, you know what I've done. You take it over. Exactly. Um, and one of those, quite arguably, there were, there were two for me that really stood out uh, at Marvel. One was Jim Shooter. 
Right. Who, yeah. Oh, yes. Who got his – now, get this, y'all. Jim Shooter got his start in comics at the age of 12 when he pitched a story for the Legion of Superheroes to DC and got published. And then wrote it for like three and then years. Wrote, and wrote it for like about three years and then wound up becoming a mainstay at Marvel to where – it was like even though you never saw him with his op-eds and everything that was in there made him a mainstay. And um, another one was someone that we did a spotlight on not too long ago, Roy Thomas. Yes. Oh, well, yeah. He was all over the Bronze Age. Probably yeah. if, if I had to say there was someone in the industry who is really a journeyman that's done, done damn near everything – and it's did everything Thomas, with everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is, it has to be Roy Thomas, hands down. Right. Oh yeah, because well, he, he had huge runs on you know on Conan, the All Star Squadron. You know, I was well, about to say that. Let's yeah, not, he, let's he, not he, forget oh, his greatest creation ever, Captain okay. Carrot and the Amazing Zoo Crew. Pig Iron Man. That's right. And another thing that happens in a Bronze Age, which we have said that it changed the face of comics, but this changed the industry is the rise of the specialty store. Yes. Be- because yeah. it took them off the soup out of the supermarkets. It took them out of the 7-Elevens and put it in the hands of people who wanted comics, knew what comics were and, and appreciated the and, medium. And it let some of those lesser known publishing houses now have a venue to get exactly. their in your hand. And also the Bronze Age ushered in a new method of storytelling, the graphic novel. Yeah. Right. With, with the Marvel graphic novel, the death of Captain Marvel, which is probably one of the penultimate stories of a superhero that's right. ever been written. Well, I don't think that there'll, be a, there'll ever be another story written that way again because I, um, Jim Starlin, a lot of people don't know this, and I have spoken about this before, what made that book hit you right here is that you felt Marvell's pain. And I later found out that he wrote that based on his father's struggle with cancer and ultimate passing from it. Right. Madman, what were you going to say? Um, I think that era, the Bronze Age era, is when they started actually ex- increasing the format. And that's when you started seeing those 100 page uh, books right. and mm-hmm. so forth, and the graphic novels. And that way you can get a far more uh, uh, a longer story, a longer narrative. Than trying to fit it into what, like thirty-two pages or something like that. Right. Also, too, uh, the other two big things that come from the the rise of the direct shop is uh, Marvel and DC says, "Well, you know, why am I going to print this comic book that I sell for forty cents on regular thin stock paper when I can raise the price by twenty cents and put it on a nice heavy stock mondo paper that's going to last a while, <laughs> knowing that the people coming for it." are looking for a high-quality book. Right. And also, you're a writer, say, hey, I have this story, but it's a bit edgy, it's a bit hard. Okay, go ahead and do it. You know, we can put it in direct market. We'll never see the newsstand. Right. So, yeah. so yeah, and going back going back to that Captain Marvel that you were talking about, that that is probably my favorite single story of all time. I've talked about it several times on here. You know, it, I'm not going to lie. It, 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 it makes me cry. It does. It was very powerful. If you have any kind of soul in you, man, you, <laughs> yeah. It, because when when I bought it, it, when I bought it, my senior year, I was a rising senior in high school. It was I got it from Geppy's Comic World in Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh man! My my, <laughs> my sister and brother in law lived in D.C. on uh, North in uh, Southwest D.C. and it was like about maybe fifteen twenty minutes from where they lived. And I went there and I had enough money and I bought that. And I was at a point in my life, I was a senior in high school, didn't know what the hell I was going to do. And the finality of that book, it just hit. But I also, it also showed me what I wanted to do. Right. And that's do, do being comics. So we all agreed the Bronze Age had a huge impact on comics. Like I said, the Silver Age saved the comic book industry. The Bronze Age brought in all those people who hadn't read comics and said, hey, we're not kitty books anymore. Read these things. Well, I think yeah. it was the Bronze Age was a, a passing of the torch. Uh, right, right, absolutely. You know? And and it didn't involve a a break in sales. Like the difference between the Golden Age and the uh Silver Age is that, you know, the uh, uh there was a after the Second World War, there was a huge drop off in interest in comic books. Right. Especially the superhero comic exactly. because you, you just took away their main protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> um right. antagonist, so, yeah. 
Oh yeah, and one more oh, thing. Antagonist, yeah, my bad. One and another thing that Madman made uh, mention of, and you and I were doing that time when we were growing up. The, what Madman used to bring here, the one hundred page super spectaculars. Another significance about the Bronze Age is that that also introduced people who have never even dealt, read anything of the Golden Age characters to some of those characters. Reprints due to the became reprints. hugely important in the Bronze Age. Yep. Um, so, all right. The Bronze Age was revolutionary for comics. When did it end? I want to say it was 1984. Ar the arguments can be made between 84 and 86. Yeah. Right? So there are several events that they, people say this marks the end of the Bronze Age. I'm going to take one. Okay. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, DC. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, okay. Without question. Yeah. Without because, question. Because DC said, our way's not working. Marvel is kicking our butt. We need to get a little edgier. We need to have a little more darker storyline. Kill these people off. So we're going to kill everybody. Make one universe. And Marv Wolfman left. Remember, Marv yeah. Wolfman came to DC from Marvel and said, this is what you need to do to compete with Marvel. You need to streamline your universe and you need to get darker. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what he did. And he also helped to usher in that era with the new Teen Titans, which yeah. gave us a, along with the phenomenal and great George Perez, ushered in a new era of team comics where we didn't have the, the they were not portrayed or introduced to us as we knew they were sidekicks or the junior partners of the main characters, but they stood on their well, own and with the artwork and plus they were given one of the greatest villains of all time, oh, one yeah. of my favorites, Deathstroke the Terminator. Well, here's what's funny. Marv Wolfman is instrumental in the resurgence of the Teen Titans, right. which both X-Men and Teen Titans had their huge resurgence during the Bronze Age, and then he's also responsible for killing the Bronze Age with Crisis. Yeah. Because uh, remember, yeah, I when... Also, I personally always felt that the Bronze Age <laughs> ends with... What? <laughs> what? <laughs> the Bronze Age. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to hate but us. No, no, He's going to kill us when this <laughs> pandemic is over, man. I'm all right, Tommy, you need to say that all over again because... I, I always felt that the, the end of the Bronze Age was, was Watchmen. And I, I would agree with that. You know something? I, if you... after, after Crisis on Infinite Earths. Well, I, figured, I always felt that Watchmen started the, modern, the more modern age of comics. Madman, well, you had a comment. Well, yes, uh our commenter, Mark, he said the Secret Wars is also like an era. And I think just how the Bronze Age didn't start with one comic book, I don't think it finished. Right. And and Mark, I actually do have Secret Wars as part of my um, list. He's jumping ahead. Uh, mm -hmm. he, he is, right? He, he, he read the notes. Um, but I'll tell, you why, I'll tell you why Watchmen is so pivotal at the end of the Dark Age. Uh, uh, crap. At the end of the Bronze Age. <laughs> because it showed you that your heroes had flaws. And that they knew that I may not be perfect. The world doesn't need to know I'm not perfect. They just need to know that I'm here when they need me to. Even if I have to show them that you need me here. You know, the, the whole dropping uh, the, the, the bug, whatever, mm -hmm. on uh, New York. That was, you know, uh, Osmandius' way of saying, you may not want me here, uh, but just like Jack Nicholson, you're going to be thankful that I wake up every night exactly. and, and take care of you. That's it. Um, you need me on that wall. Right. Um, so I know you know one. Don't don't look at the notes. What's another? What's another end of the Bronze Age? You know this one. Oh yeah, uh, without without question, uh, Batman: The Dark Knight Returns. Absolutely. Uh, and you know why? The same reason. We yeah, get to edginess, see a yeah. darker Batman. The darker ahead. Batman. We see Batman. We we get the question answered. Basically, the Dark Knight Returns asks the question. After Batman has, what does what's next for Batman? Right, and what has happened to everybody when he's given it up? And it was a great, it was a great story. Um, and a lot of people have have thought that this canon, but it's not. No, and 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 I got into an argument with someone about it, and I was like. It, because they were trying to tell me that Carrie Kelly was Rob. I said no, no, she was she was only Robin in that story because if that was part of canon 
or a part of the Batman continuity, Jason Todd wouldn't be in the comics right now. Right, yeah. right. The, uh, and, and and on top of that, if you guys recall, Bat Bruce Wayne gave up being Batman when Jason got killed. He did. Jason yeah, got killed two years later, right. and he kept on being right, Batman. Right, right. That's what I mean. I think that um, uh, Dark Knight Returns is actually a is like the first Elseworlds comic. Perfect. I was yeah. just I was just gonna say that's an Elseworlds without the Elseworlds logo on. Yeah. It. Exactly. 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 And another and I think another thing that um ushered in that that kind of um brought a close to the Bronze Age was the changing of the guard of the flagship character, Superman. Uh we saw um Elliot S. Magan and Kurt Swan depart take take, yeah. a, take a bow and in comes my man John Byrne and he told he I think it is safe to say that he picked up where Denny O'Neill left off because Denny the thing that that solidifies Denny O'Neill with the Superman mytholo- mythology is that Denny O'Neill told a Superman story that focused on the man John Byrne came in and took it further and showed that not only could he tell a great story focusing on the man and Superman, but he showed us that Superman didn't need all those extras to still be the greatest hero of them all. Right. Uh, Well, also, too, the great thing that John Byrne does with Superman is he says, "Okay, let's get rid of Mr. Maniacal Lex Luthor and make him a power manga, you know, with, with all the money and the strings to pull things. Um, as just a simple man and not have the stupid suit on and exactly show, show that the world could be easy dominated with just money. Exactly. Well, it's the greatest superpower there is. Right. Uh, another thing that a lot of people consider to be the ends of the Bronze Age going, you know, flipping over to Marvel. Um, Mark already mentioned uh, the Secret Wars. Um, the big thing about Secret Wars was that you get the Black Spider-Man costume. Yep. Yeah. Because it showed that Marvel says, we're going to take an iconic character um, for the last 20, 25 years, and we're going to flip them and put them in a suit that you guys don't like because we're going to make, make it darker. Um, but a lot of people say when Defenders and Power Man Iron Fist got canceled, that was a signif- you know, signifying that things were changing in the House of Ideas. Right, yeah. Especially when they replace it with, I'm sorry, X-Factor and New Universe. <laughs> mm-hmm. X-Factor, okay, was all right, but New Universe was, was horrible. Yeah, that smelled. And I mean, that that was. I, I never read Universe. It just did not look good. The problem with New Universe is they even promoted this as saying it's going to take place in real time. You know, so right. like there's not going to be a gap from issue to issue. And uh, but everybody was like, "Well, how are you going to explain the 30 days lapse between when a book comes out?" <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Bronze Age, very pivotal time in comic books. Any closing remarks on it? We didn't get to talk about my boy Howard the Duck. He was well, a pivotal bronze. Howard the Duck, bronze age character. Howard the Duck goes right in there with the exploration of the non-superhero genre. Right, right, um, and it, and you know he was he was so great that he ushered in the first Marvel movie ever, also named Howard the Duck. Well, I mean, I think also the Bronze Age was an era where it <laughs> it um people were were challenging the medium, were challenging the form and the formula. In many ways, and that's why you got characters like Howard the Duck. Absolutely, I even ha- I even have some Batman comic books where it was a prose story; it was written words, and then oh yeah, uh, and in, yeah. The, in the side columns, there's just f- uh, pictures, small little pictures of scenes that happened in the story that you're reading. Oh yeah, and so they were playing around with the format and the form uh, in that era in some ways, and trying to find things that worked. By the way, Tommy, I'm going to refute your Howard the Duck as the first Marvel movie, and I'm going to point at the first Nicholas Hammond Spider-Man movie that started the series. 1977. Uh, the first Doctor Strange movie on TV, which failed and didn't do anything. The first Hulk well, movie. These are, TV, these are TV movies, though. I'm talking about cinematic. I would argue that Nicholas Hammond was a Spider-Man movie, uh, and they spun a pilot, spun a series yeah. off of that. <laughs> yeah. But if it, but they all sucked. I mean, it doesn't. Well, well back the exception up. of Hulk. Cinema was it released? In the cinema, on the big marquee, but, like Howard the Duck. But Tommy, would you say Roots is a movie? Just because it's, it's a made, TV movie, yeah, just just because it's made for a TV movie doesn't make it not a movie, right? <laughs> but, 
And let us not forget about Captain America. Oh, I forgot about that. Red Brown, what's up, Reb? He's a friend of mine on Facebook. I hope you're watching, Reb. It's okay to forget about that. was a good one. That was the good one. But also, the Bronze Age, also, we were talking about Batman. We would be remiss. We talked about everyone else during the Bronze Age, but we could not forget about the team-up of Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. And also, Steve Englehart was very, was very um, pivotal to the Bronze Age for his work on Doctor Strange, as well as also after his run on Batman with Mr. Miracle. And, and it's funny, because Doctor Strange uh, is one of the titles that ends up getting cut during the Bronze Age, um, and why they start ushering in some of the non-superhero genres. Right. And then later on, Defenders gets cut, which was where the only place you got to see Doctor Strange exactly. for a while. So, kind of a, you know, it's significant that, you know, hey, one of our main characters who was really popular and, and carried to the Bronze Age is, is gone now. Right. To the Silver Age. Um, so, yeah, good subject. Bronze Age was fantastic. Um, silver and bronze are always the best reads in, in comics out there. So, the stuff today is really good, but if you really want to see how Marvel and DC just built these worlds, you got to read those two eras. Um, that is all our time for this week. I do want to mention that Mad Men has Shock Monkey Radio every Thursday night from 6 to 7 p.m. here on FXBG Public Radio. We do have Facebook.com slash Lost in a Long Box, and we have our Gmail as well, Lost in a Long Box at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Enos has our Facebook groups that are our sister uh, groups, basically Batman, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, Realm of Superheroes, Comics, and Pop Culture. Gather together the greatest superhero teams, and boy, I got to I'm going to talk to you off the air. I got a great idea for sure. You're going to love this. Okay. All right, everybody, we will talk to you next week. Good night. Have a good night, everyone. Bye, Mark. Bye, Mark. Have a good night, Mark.